Thank you. I can just reiterate um, how grateful I am personally for answered prayer because as Karen was just saying, a couple of weeks ago, my father-in-law was seriously, seriously ill. His heart actually completely stopped for quite a while. And on the Monday night, Monday afternoon, when, when I went down to see him at the hospital, he was in intensive care and the doctors were really, really worried. And when you get doctors worried, you tend to worry yourself, don't you? And um, as Rochelle and I were actually praying with him and he had no idea what we were doing, but we were praying over him and we were just praying in tongues. And and the next thing you know, he actually held our hands, both of us, because we were holding his hands, but he actually gripped our hands. Now, this is a man who believes that we actually arrived from aliens. This is a man who, um, when Rochelle was five years old, she, she said to him, as only a five-year-old can, Granddad, do you believe in Jesus? And he says, no, sweetheart, no, no. And she looked up with horror on her face and said, but Granddad, you'll be a crispy critter if you don't. And so... <laughs> So this is a man who, this is his background. You know, Star Trek is kind of where he's from and that's where we're from. So he comes, so Rochelle and I again, we've continued to pray for this man and we're standing over his bed in the ICU and we're holding his hand and we're both praying in tongues over him and he gripped our hands and he knew that he knew that we were praying for him. He couldn't speak. He didn't have a clue who was in the room but he knew that God was in that room. Amen? This was Monday, okay? Five, Friday afternoon, my husband phones me up and, and, of course, whenever his phone number comes up on the phone, I'm thinking, oh, Lord, oh. <laughs> so I'm holding my breath as I'm talking to Dave on the phone and he says, I'm just going down to the hospital. He didn't say it's okay. He says, I'm just going down to the hospital and, of course, my heart then starts to think, oh, Lord, no. He says, Dad's coming home. So he comes home from the hospital on the Friday and then on the, the following Monday, remembering Monday we were th- talking about intubation, we were talking, we had no idea where he's going. Following Monday, he's just heading down to the SES because they need him and he volunteers. How good is our God, hey? How good is our God? So I still don't think he can deny God because when he is in trouble or he does feel really bad, he writes my other daughter, my eldest daughter, Melissa, and he says, can you just put in a word, love? And Mel says, Grandad, you know, you can talk to God as well. It's not just me. He says, yeah, but he knows you better. People are funny, aren't they? But yeah, God is good. And we just, I just thank him every single day for, for my family. And another person that I've been thanking God for, for a long time. I've known this young man quite a few years now and his family. And this young man has had a special place in my heart because I've seen him grow. I've seen him grow from somebody who drove me absolutely nuts to somebody that I could see the hand of God 
in his life, sometimes in spite of what he did, but in st- he's st- you can still see the hand of God in his life. So I'd like to welcome Asher up to the stage. Because this young man, we're very, very sad, but very, very happy <laughs> to say that he has... He's starting a new chapter in his life. And it's not here. So it's sad for us. And I'm sure it's part, you know, Asher can attest to this, that part of him is sad that he's actually moving away from his spiritual home that he's had since he was, oh gosh, he's been here about 20 years or something, haven't you? 10, 20 years? Yeah. He's been here for about 20 years. So he's kind of grown up in this church. And now... It's time for him to fly. And I'm really sad. (laughs) I really am very, very sad. But I'm really, really happy. It's like when your kids leave home. You know when your kids leave home and you think, oh, but then part of you is very, very proud and part of you is very, very... We'll still continue to pray for Asher. We're going to still continue regardless. A bit like, as I say, when your children leave home, pray for him continually. And we can watch from this, this house how he grows in another house and he grows another house. So can you just tell us a little bit about what you're about to do, Ash? How are you, church? As you may know, uh, I've been here about 19 years. I've been serving for about 12. And leaving this church is probably the hardest decision I've ever had to make. So don't feel as though it's you, it's me. All right? Um, I'm actually, I'll be leaving and there's a church plant out of PCLC uh, called Urban Church. Uh, I just felt at the start of this year that it was time to move on and things kind of just fell into place. It wasn't something I, I'd, I'd made the decision to leave before I even knew where I was going and the, the date I gave myself was a week before this other church started, before I even knew the other church was started. So things just fell into place really, really well. Uh, I feel very, uh, I feel very good about it. You know, I feel at peace the idea that you know I am leaving. I do feel as though I'm le- leaving family, so um, I really don't want to leave you guys. It's, on Friday night was my last official Friday night, and it was, it was hard to see these guys go, but they will always be a part of me. They'll always be a part of my life, and I don't think I'll ever, you know, just forget you guys as a church, as a family. So I want to thank all of you. I want to thank all the parents for. You know, the opportunity to speak into your children's lives, you know, that's a blessing to be able to, you know, sow into people's lives. Not, it's not, I don't take that for granted. That's, that's actually a blessing to be able to do that. And all the teenagers who are here, um, thanks for coming along. Thanks for having fun. Thanks for being really cool. I love you all. I don't want to go, but I know that's what God wants me to do. So, love you. Have a good time. So, yeah. If you guys would just raise your, put your hands forward and we'll just pray for Asher right now. Father, we just praise you and thank you for this beautiful young man, Lord God. Lord, you knew the hairs on his head before he was born, Father God. So we just thank you for him, for the opportunity to, to go through part of the journey with him, Lord God. And we just look forward to, to his future in your hands, Father God. Lord, we just pr- pray, Lord, that you will just pave the way, Lord, 
Just make his path very, very clear, Father God, the path that you would have him take, Lord. Lord, the decisions that he has to make, Father God, we just pray that you will just speak very, very clearly into his life, Lord, and that doors that you need to open, Lord, open, the ones that you don't want him to go through, Lord, close right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. I also have uh, an urgent need for some short-term accommodation for a 30-year-old pregnant mother. Um, if you know, um, if you feel, just, to, just as, as we're going through the service, that your, ha- your home is the home that this pregnant mother needs to go to, can you please come and see me after the service? Um, we, we just, it's only a short term, it's, it's a short term, um, but we need accommodation for a 30-year-old pregnant woman. So if you, if you believe that, that God is speaking to you, please come and see me after the service. Okay, Ephesians 1.18 in the New International Version says, I pray the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. An email that I I read said, um, I have a daughter that I don't believe is saved. I pray for her, but oftentimes I can't. I suppose that I'm angry. She isn't responding and feel incapable of helping her. Does that sound familiar, guys? What can I pray for on a daily basis so that she will come to Christ? At times I feel such sorrow, thinking she might go to hell. This parent speaks for mothers and fathers everywhere who pray for their prodigal children for years with seemingly no results. I don't doubt that praying parents must at some point feel like giving up. Anybody recognize that? And it must be hard not to get angry when you see your children repeatedly making bad choices or showing no interest in the gospel. What do you do then? How do you keep believing for your own prodigal son or daughter? When I use the word prodigal, I'm referring to anyone who has drifted away or run away or totally rejected their Christian heritage. It could refer to a high school student who simply stops going to church or a man who thinks he doesn't need religion or someone who becomes an atheist. I could refer to a son raised in a church who calmly tells his mother, I'm no longer a Christian. A prodigal could be a husband who one day walks out on his marriage and simply disappears. A prodigal could be someone who gets busy in their career, so busy that they've no time for God. It could be a person who serves in the church, but behind closed doors lives a very different life. The prodigal was raised in a Christian home or had a Christian background and for some reason no longer lives for the Lord. In thinking about cases like this, we often wonder if the prodigal is saved or lost. Do you know what the answer is? Only God knows, because he can read the heart. We don't need the answer, are they saved? We don't need to answer the the question, are they saved? Because for the moment, we actually don't know the answer. And it's usually not profitable to spend time wondering, were they ever really converted? Those questions, while important, go to matters of the heart 
And who knows your heart? Only the Lord, isn't it? Because we only see the outside. And it can be easy to conclude that people we thought we knew so well were never saved in the first place. But our knowledge is limited. While the prodigal may appear to have totally rejected his background and he may give all the appearances of being lost, only God knows for certain, doesn't he? In thinking about the hard questions, it's crucial that we start at the right place. Nowhere is it more important than when we pray for our loved ones who are away from the Lord. Because we have so much invested in them, we may be tempted to give up because the pain of praying for them is just too hard. It's just too painful. There's an email from a distraught father that says, what about prodigals who have been saved and walk away from everything they know to be true? Our daughter has been drifting and living a sinful lifestyle for the past two years. She's recently chosen to totally walk away from the ways of the world. She's involved in an abusive relationship and she's turned her back on her parents and her family. This is a young lady who is musically gifted, who loves people and has served the Lord since she was three years old. We're a Christian family and have always been close-knit. She and I always had a strong relationship emotionally and spiritually until she got involved with the abusive boyfriend. Now, isn't it easy in that situation to blame the abusive boyfriend? That's where we go, isn't it? Blame. Who's at fault? Well, if he hadn't come into her life, you know what? She'd be still serving in this house. Ba-bow. She's given up everything she loves and lost her identity. She continues to cut off all communication with us. It is breaking our hearts. We try our hardest to trust the Lord and believe he alone can rescue her from herself. I guess I'm just looking for some words of wisdom and encouragement on how we can be hope givers in her life. Stories like this can be multiplied. And it's not just about children. A prodigal may be a pastor who goes off the tracks. It could be a brother who used to be a leader in the church and now refuses to go to church at all. It could refer to Bible students, Bible college students who live openly homosexual lifestyles. You may have learned from, about Jesus from someone who now rejects the very faith they once taught you. Very often, prodigals start out as people who, having been deeply hurt by the circumstances of life, feel abandoned or cheated or mistreated by God. These things, in fact, do happen, and they happen more often than we care to admit, don't they? If we go behind the scenes to the best Christian families we know, you know what? Most of us have got prodigals in our household or in our immediate family. We've all got stories about prodigal sons, daughters, mothers, fathers, brothers and sisters. And as far as I can tell, there's no way to guarantee that it won't happen to someone close to you. You know what? There's actually not even a guarantee that it won't happen to you or to me someday. That's why we've got warnings in the New Testament and we need to pay attention to how we live and take absolutely nothing for granted. Corinthians 9.27 is a good example. It says, No, I strike a blow to my body 
and make it my slave so that after I've preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. If you look up that verse in the, in the Message Bible, it, it's, it's actually quite good there too. I'll, I'll leave that for you to look up though. That's Corinthians 9.27. It says it quite, quite good. In stating the, the matter this way, I don't believe I'm a pessimist. I'm simply drawing conclusions based on a sober reading of the New Testament in the lifetime of dealing with hurt and confused people. The story we call the parable of the prodigal son, that's in, that's in Luke um, 15, 11 to 32. And in there, it's, I think it's probably the, the best story because it's probably the closest story to our true lives, isn't it? Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He longed for his stomach to be filled with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned. That's where it begins, isn't it? I've sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son and threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the oldest son was in the field. When he came to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called to one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. And this is, the, this is the real part too, isn't it? The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even the young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when his, this son of yours has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him? My son, the father said, you are always with me. Everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. 
That is so true, isn't it? That is so, so true. And I think it's, as I say, it speaks truth about the human condition because prodigals happen. This is a problem that we actually face daily. And this message is not about bringing them back. They won't come back until they're ready. We can't argue them back, shame them back. If we force them to come back too early, they'll still be in that far land, that far country on the inside, the part that we can't see. So having them sitting next to us in church doesn't do us any good. If on the inside, the part that we can't see is still in that far country. This message comes down to this. How should we pray for our prodigals? To answer that, we first need to get our theology right. That's a good place to start, isn't it? So, We need to be reminded that an astounding miracle lies at the heart of our faith. We believe something absolutely incredible that a man who was dead came back to life on the third day. We believe that God raised him from the dead. Now, if God would do that for his son, indeed, if God has the power to raise the dead, who are we to question God's power to change a hard heart? Does that make sense? After all, if you go to a cemetery and stand there waiting for a resurrection, you'll be waiting there for a while, I'm afraid. In my job, in my job, I go to lots of funerals, uh, funeral celebration services even, but I haven't been to any resurrection services other than on, a, on Good Friday, on Sundays here at church. You'll see plenty of funerals, but no resurrections. There are chances that man who had been tortured, then crucified, and then buried in a tomb would be raised from the dead. What's that? What's the chances of that? The odds would seem to be against it. You can't start with what your eyes can see, can you? Because if we look about what what our eyes can see, we would be totally lost. You can't trust your feelings in something like this because your emotions play tricks on you and you make emotional decisions. And they, my friends, are not always the best decisions to make. You must therefore start with God. It's a pretty easy place to start, really, when you think about it. But that's always, I don't know about you guys, but I always have to have something slap me in the face before I get the obvious. So you start with God who can raise the dead, not with the person who is spiritually dead. Make sense? If God alone... If it's God alone who can raise the dead, then our focus must be on God alone. There are three verses that will help us when we think about praying for our prodigals. The first one's from Proverbs 4.23 from the NIV. And it says, Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. What are we guarding? Exactly. In Proverbs 21.1, in the New King James, it says, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Like the rivers of water, he 
turns it wherever he wishes. What's in the hand of the Lord? That's right. Ephesians 1.18 says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Do you know your, eye, your heart has eyes? It does. When Paul, when Paul speaks of your heart, he's not referring to the organ in your chest that pumps your blood throughout your body. The term heart refers to what we call the real you. It's the place inside where the decisions of life are made. The heart is the place where you decide what values you will live by and what direction you'll go in your life. Every important decision you make doesn't begin in your head, as you would think. It actually begins in your heart. And your heart has eyes that can be open or closed. When the eyes of your heart are closed to the light of God, you stumble blindly through life, making one dumb choice after another. You fall into sinful patterns. You break God's law. You end up driving into a ditch. You make the same mistakes over and over and over again. And you enter one dead-rung relationship after another. Why? Because the eyes of your heart are shut and you lack moral vision. The light of God is shut out of your life. That means you can be blind and see at the same time. That is, you can have 20-20 vision, well, with the help of glasses, some of us, and be blind at the same time. That is, the, the eyes of your heart can be blind to the light of God. And there's lots of people like that in the world. Physically, they can see, but spiritually, they're totally, totally blind. And that describes many people who are raised in the church, many young people. They know God, but their eyes are so filled with the things of the world that they're blind to the truth. I'll give you an illustration, one very close to my heart. I've got a young man raised in a Christian home, been going to church for years and years since he was born. He was actually born in the church, but almost. Sunday school, children's ministry, youth, part of the worship team, Christian school, entire family, very dedicated to God. Something happens in his life, actually the entire family's life. A tragedy, life-changing tragedy. His siblings continue their walk with the Lord. His takes a different direction. Three children brought up in the same household, Two go one way, one goes the other. The parents question, what did we do? What did we go wrong? Where did we go wrong? What? Isn't that what we do as parents? We take the blame. We're looking for blame. We're looking for answers. But we're not looking in the right place, are we? Because as children grow up to be adults and to be at an age of understanding... They have decisions and they have choices that they need to make for themselves. And we're not responsible for other people. We're responsible to them, but we're not responsible for other people, are we? So this young man goes off 
does his thing, decides to become involved with a lifestyle that he knew that his parents didn't like, he knew that his parents didn't agree with. Nightclubbing, drinking, drugs, promiscuous behaviour, one girlfriend after another, couldn't even remember their names. This family was distraught by these actions of this young man. Absolutely distraught. Parents could not believe it. Continued to pray for that young man. Then got in, This young man then got involved with people that are really not the right people to get involved with. Legal situations come along. But do you know what that young man continued to do? Even the lifestyle was out there and he was in a different country. Continued to ask for prayer because he knew that he was connected to God. Even out in the wilderness, he knew that he was connected to God. Praise God, that's my son I'm talking about. And he still is not sitting in church on a Sunday morning. But now he turns on Brian. He calls him Uncle Brian. (laughs) Brian Houston on a Sunday morning and he and his wife and two children lay in bed with a cup of tea and watch it on television. But praise God that he had that, that background to begin with. And he had people praying for him continuously continuously now if our young people sleep around and get drunk on the weekends if they cheat and cut corners if they're rebellious and unmotivated those things are only a symptom of a deeper more fundamental issue they've never made a personal commitment to Jesus Christ who's on Facebook here how many friends do we have on Facebook? I mean, we got, I've got hundreds of friends. I'm, I actually don't have hundreds of friends. I'm really quite poor in the friend department. But I've got hundreds of friends on Facebook. But do I have a relationship with each of those friends? No. I know them. Some of them I know through my children. Some of them I wish I actually didn't know through my children. But I know them. I know who they are. But do they speak into my life? No. So when our children and when we say the sinner's prayer, do we know God any more than we did 10 minutes before? We don't, do we? The only way that we get to know God is to have a personal relationship with him does that make sense so saying the sinner's prayer does that mean we're saved well yeah that that we're saved i'm not saying we're not saved but does it say that we have a relationship with our lord jesus christ it's the beginning but it's the first step isn't it and we need to take more than one step 
We need to take more than just one little step and think, oh, well, that's it. I'm not going to be, as Rochelle said, a crispy critter and I'm safe. No. Because if we take more than one step and we actually build a relationship with our Heavenly Father, then it's, it's, it's nigh on impossible to get drunk every weekend. It's nigh on impossible to step outside of our marriage. It's nigh on impossible. Now, I'm not saying it is impossible, but it's almost impossible because we've still got those choices to make, haven't we? We're still responsible for our choices that we make in our lives. But if we've got a relationship with our Heavenly Father, that is a true relationship, not just a superficial one, like a Facebook relationship. If we've got a true relationship with our Heavenly Father, that's the difference. And that's what we need to pray for our prodigals. That's what we need to be doing. We need to be praying that God open their eyes. Because if God opens our eyes and his light shines through into our hearts, we're more than Facebook friends with God. Does that make sense? We're more, we're taking more than just that one step. We're taking more than just A parrot can say the sinner's prayer. I'm sorry, guys, but a parrot can say the sinner's prayer. But it doesn't mean anything unless we're going that extra mile. And I know that I know that I know that my God is worth going the extra mile for. He's worth putting the effort in. Because any time I have gone one step towards God, I know that he goes half a dozen towards me. Anybody else feel that? We, we could never, ever, ever out-love, out-give, out-think God, ever. So the more that we go closer, move closer to God, the closer he's going to come to us. And isn't that the life that we want for our prodigals? So this morning, I want you just to very, very quietly, just, just for the next couple of two minutes... Just think of who in your life, because I'm guaranteeing you, I've got half a dozen that I can think of straight off my head, of people that we can start right now praying for. And the prayer is purely and simply that God will open the eyes of their heart. That God will open the eyes of their heart. Because once those eyes are open... Once that light shines in, once God is in our heart and starts to move and operate in and through us, it's a heck of a lot harder to do the wrong thing. A heck of a lot harder. So just for a couple of seconds, I'll just just shut up for a couple of seconds while we just think about it right now. Thank you, Jesus.
Father God, just as we pray for our loved ones who seemed hardened against you, Lord, Lord, we pray that the eyes of their heart might be opened so that the light of you can come in flooding in. And Lord, if that seems hopeless, at least it puts the hopeless case at your doorstep, which is where it belongs. Because on that Saturday night, there was a hopeless case in the garden tomb. And on Sunday morning, the whole world changed. You never know what God will do, people. So keep on believing. Keep on praying. Because God, you specialize in the impossible situations. And you love to prove that hopeless cases aren't hopeless after all. Because we, each one of us, we were hopeless cases. We had hardened hearts. And Lord, you never gave up on either one of us. And so as we pray and keep on praying, we know that our prayers will accomplish more than we ever, ever dreamed. And we thank you for the answered prayers that we've seen in this house. We thank you for the answered prayers, Lord, just the people that are in this place today because we didn't get here by accident. There was people praying for each and every one of us. And we thank you. And we thank you in advance for the prodigals that we have in our heart right now. We thank you that you go before each one of them and that you bring the right people across their paths. Because, Lord, we know that the whinging, the guilty, putting, putting guilt trips on, the nagging, none of it works, Lord God. Only you can change people. Only you can change people's heart. And only you can open the eyes of our hearts. And we ask this right now in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 I'm going to close the service now. But if you do need prayer, and if you do want to continue to talk about the the prodigals in your life I believe that that prayer is the prayer but if you do need some some prayer there's some the pastors in the house will come forward with Gary and we'll pray with you father God we just thank you for each and every person that's here Lord God Lord we just pray that you will just give them traveling mercies today Lord And Lord, we just pray that as this week goes forward, that the prodigals in their life will come to their mind, Lord, and that you will just be that gentle reminder for our lives. Lord, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word. We thank you for for every single person in this house. And we just pray a blessing upon each family that's represented. In Jesus' name. Get the musicians to come up. And we will just um, sing something light.
Happy days. We are happy. Thanks, guys.